Hi guys, we're your hosts Jillian and Kaylin, and this is Teach Me How to Adult, a podcast on all the things you never learned growing up, like how to buy a home, manage stress, crush your love life, land your dream job, and how to love yourself more, because we could all be a little kinder to ourselves. We're still figuring out how to get our shit together, so we're calling in the experts and the hustlers for some real talk and legit tips on how to live your best life. Adulting isn't easy, but we got you. Hi friends, we are so excited about this week's episode because it's one of our most requested topics and it's super relevant for anyone no matter what your relationship status is. So we're talking all things attachment styles with relationship therapist Jessica Baum. And this is an episode that we both have really wanted to do for a while. Whether you want to have better romantic relationships or better relationships with your friends or family or even just yourself, it applies to everyone and every situation. And today we're really focusing in on the romantic relationships. So we both took the quiz on Jessica's website, which we will link in the show notes that reveals what your attachment style is. And not surprising, I tend to veer towards the anxious attachment style. I think I've really been growing and doing the work to have a bit more of a secure attachment style, but we are not quite there yet. I'm at least like more conscious of it though. But it is really interesting that different people and different scenarios, as we talk about later in the episode, can bring out kind of different styles within you. So what I have realized is that when I'm really invested in someone like if I realize I love you I want to be with you you are the partner for me or if you're like my best friend I tend to have more of an anxious attachment style and like the stakes are really high for me and I am just worried about abandonment I'm worried about losing the people that I love but until you hit that level with me like if we're just starting to date or if we're you know friends but not like besties I've noticed I'm a bit more avoidant which is interesting so like I'm sure if we were to bring on a few a few people that I've gone out with let's not do that but if we did they would probably feel that I was more of an avoidant attachment style and yet I in most of my relationships really identify more as anxious yeah and for me I've realized through her quiz and just this journey that I have anxious attachment styles when it comes to friendships specifically female friendships but when it comes to like my relationship with Gabe or any previous people that I've dated before him it's so funny I like I I, you if you cross me or if something bad happens like I'm very secure with myself and, and those relationships are secure so I mean I'm sure there's some avoidant attachment things in there too that maybe didn't come out in the in the quiz but I just think it's so funny how I have two completely different styles with two different types of relationships different situations can bring out different pieces and I know that we are both just trying our best to figure out how to have secure relationships across the board. But we are not the experts, so we called in Jessica Baum. And Jessica is a psychotherapist and couples counselor. She's the founder of the Relationship Institute of Palm Beach and the founder of Be Selfful, a company that provides counseling, group coaching, and courses for couples and individuals. And she literally wrote the book on anxious attachments. She's the author of Anxiously Attached, Becoming More Secure in Life and Love, which offers a roadmap to help you go from anxiously attached to building strong, secure relationships. And who doesn't want that? Teach us how to create secure attachments, Jessica. Jessica, thank you so much for joining us today. We are so excited to talk about attachment styles and attachment theory. Can you just break down what the four attachment styles are for anyone who might be new to attachment theory and what they generally look like in a relationship? Sure. Yeah, really there's four types of attachment styles and they're really embedded patterns. And so, and it goes so much deeper, but if you kind of want to understand where you fit, there's a secure attachment, which is like a bulk of our population, although I think we're moving towards more insecure types due to a lot of reasons, which I can talk about. But those people have an inherent trust in relationships, and they don't struggle with um, feeling abandoned or feeling smothered. So they transition really well, and they have less anxiety um, in general in their life. Their sense of self-worth tends to be a little bit more established and secure because they had a lot of mirroring and a secure sense of who they are from early on in their parenting. And then you move into the more insecure types, and these are adaptive strategies. Um, So you have anxious, which is the one I wrote the book on, and those people struggle with an abandonment wound. 
and really um, struggle with intimacy with themselves and dealing with um, kind of space and anxiety and feeling like the connection's always going to drop in a relationship. They tend to look like more quote unquote, what we call codependent. And they're just adaptive strategies of trying to people please and stay close into connection. And so, you know, that type um, struggles with disconnect um, and the feelings of dysregulation. And I can talk about the nervous system and why they're hardwired to not self-regulate so easily. So they tend to be more dependent in relationships. Then you have the other end of the spectrum, which is avoidant. And Avoidant attachment tends to be like more of an island and they don't open up and they're not vulnerable and they tend to self kind of self-regulate, but really struggle with co-regulation. So they struggle um, connecting in their pain and they Mm -hmm. struggle a lot in relationships. So they have more rigid boundaries and the irony is anxious and avoidant tend to pair or these adaptive strategies come up a lot in that pairing And then we have disorganized and disorganized can be a little bit of a combination of both, but really attachment is a two-way street. So even if you fall in one category, who you attach to in their patterns create a relational set of patterns. So in that relational set of patterns is how the, the, the dance plays out in your relationship. And it's totally normal to have a dance in every relationship. It's just most people aren't conscious of what that dance is. And the dance can be pretty painful Mm -hmm. and miserable if you don't do some healing while you're in the dance. So attachment is real. And as we (laughs) learn to adapt and we have, we develop these adaptive strategies and nervous system responses when we're really young, we don't stop attaching in our, and later in our life. So we bring those adaptive strategies and our attachment styles into our connected bonds as an adults, and we play them out and reenact them over and over again. So it can be, Um, hard to kind of look at that, but also really rewarding when you start to understand, okay, where do I land and how do I start healing? That the fourth one is the one that I wasn't really sure about because I've heard so much about secure, anxious, avoidant, and then I, I was never clear on what disorganized was. Yeah, disorganized is someone who can't get too close, but also struggles with abandonment as well. And so they become disorganized inside. There are many things that could cause disorganization. You could be anxious and a pair with someone who's extremely avoidant and you could have disorganization show up in your system because it's Mm -hmm. really a combination of both. And we're all on a scale, right? Like, is it, are we specifically, so I, I took the quiz and as I suspected, uh, like lean more towards being anxiously Mm -hmm. attached. Um, but I'm assuming we're all kind of on a bit of a spectrum. Is that right? Like different pieces can come out at different times and you can be, you know, a bit of both. Yeah. So, I mean, we have adaptive strategies. So you're saying that my adaptive strategies fit more of the anxious, but it's really a wheel. So if the way I think about it is if you're anxious and you partner with someone secure, your embedded patterns will still come up, but they won't be as amplified and you'll have an easier time to work Mm -hmm. through them because your partner won't be activated at the same time because they're a little bit more secure. But if you're anxious and you partner with someone who's really avoidant, you could shift into more of a disorganized. And so attachment is a two-way street. It's not just your, um, your attachment style. It's your attachment style in combination with someone else. Like I could be anxious in my romantic life, but I could be avoidant with some friends. Because, you know, different things come up. Think about that friend who needs so much from you and you constantly, you get a little overwhelmed and you feel a little smothered and you're like, wow, I don't show up like this with my partner, but here's my avoidant protector or my avoidant pattern showing up in another relationship in my life. That makes so much sense because I've been doing like a lot of work this year on healing my inner child and, and figuring out what my attachment styles are. And I was looking back at like old journals from middle school and high school. And I was reading through it and I noticed when it came to relationships and boys, I was so securely attached. Like if they wronged me, I was out by like, I'm over it. Not no qualms. But with my female friendships and my girlfriends, I'm so anxiously attached and like constantly needing reassurance and needing to know that I'm still close with them and they still love me. And like, if I screwed something up, like we're still going to be friends. And I, I still see that now in my adult life and the way I am with friendship. So that's one thing we wanted to ask you, like how, how can it be different and how can your attachment style change in different relationships? But I guess you're saying different people can bring out different sides of you. Yeah. And if it's like that extreme for you, like we take in the essence and the embedded patterns of both our primary caregivers. 
So if you had an anxious, an anxious mother, that those parts can come out in different relationships. So we don't just right. we take on our, primarily our mother's nervous system. We mirror her nervous system and we take on a lot of her paradigm, but we also take in our, our father. So we take in so much of our paradigm and our lens in our world is kind of absorbed in those early formative years. So, you know, you could be showing up different with females because there's something deeper going on in terms of your relationship to females. And, and that might relate more to a different sex or just kind of what you need from those relationships. And you need something different from your friendships. And that might bring up more fear of losing whatever that is for you. And so kind of exploring that. I'm going to make my parents do your attachment styles quiz so I can be like, okay, who was it? Who was it that gave me this? What's going on? <laughs> Who done, done it? it? Yeah. And you know, you have to, you kind of have to remember when you really study neuroscience and you start to understand the nervous system, your parents didn't even do it to you. They were actually showing up the best that they could. Yeah. And if their system was yeah. locked in a survival or stress response and you're kind of programming yourself, they literally couldn't help but give you some anxious wiring if they were anxious themselves. So it does kind of form compassion, but I understand mm -hmm. because I did go through a period of time where I was like kind of angry at my dad, you know, you were pretty unavailable and that impacted my life. And then I was like looking at his parents who were Holocaust survivors and really looking at how much he didn't get. So how much he couldn't really give gave me a little bit more insight in my own healing um, to, to heal intergenerationally. Wow. We're all just doing the best to pass on like the best parts of us to, you know, the next generation with what we have. And we're so lucky to have all of these tools, but our parents probably didn't have those tools. So does it always stem back to childhood or can some of these attachments be really solidified or or formed later in life? I mean, I'm I can see that I was always an anxious child and I'm not sure if anxiously attached people just tend to have more anxiety in general. But really, when I look at the wounds that I think have altered my ability to trust those have happened much later in life and so yeah I'm just curious as to how much is is formed fully in childhood it can be both but I would say primarily childhood and so um okay if you're highly dysregulated in your relationships and are having like what a trauma response fight flight freeze or shut down chances are that origin of that is your nervous system kind of sensing danger, something we call like neuroception or a lack of safety. And if you had a really secure base, you'd probably just move away from that and, and get yourself some support. But if you didn't, you might stay in that dysregulation um, because it feels familiar and you're unconscious of all of that, right? And I would say for people who are anxious, um, so when you're a baby, if your mother was also anxious or struggled, she couldn't co-regulate. She couldn't energetically calm your system down. And because we're born without a parasympathetic nervous system in place, we're really born mm. as, as humans, we don't come out fully developed. Even our organs and everything are still developing. And certainly our brain and our organs are developing for a very long period of time. We don't actually separate our nervous system till much later in life, like between nine and 13. But if she couldn't soothe mm. you, you grew up in a world where either you become addicted, struggle with self-regulation because you don't have the internal tool, like you don't have the wiring, you know, or you need a lot of co-regulation. So you need a lot of support from your partner to help regulate your nervous system because it's a missing developmental link there. And that's not her fault. She was just maybe more in a little bit more anxiety. So she couldn't provide the safety for your system to kind of get into parasympathetic. So you're wired a little bit more anxiously because she's wired a little bit more anxiously. And so there's a lot of mirroring that goes on in brain development when you're an infant. And so many people want to say, oh, this happened later in my life, or this person's wrong for me because they're dysregulating me. And it's like, unfortunately, people don't understand that actually that's not the problem or that's not what's really going on. What's really going on is a nervous system response that happened at such a primal age that you can't link it back to any kind of real memory because we only have mm -hmm. implicit memory at that time, which is sensational memory. We don't have the kind of memory you think of as movies. So if you're really, really dysregulated mm -hmm. or having like what you would consider a trauma response, there's a very good chance there's a memory or an embedded memory there that you don't even have access to. 
Is there wow. like an age? So like from womb, because we embed memory from womb, so, and you can have cellular memory from womb. In fact, that impacts you a lot to about four. You're, you don't have, you're not using the left hemisphere as much of your brain. So you're more in your right hemisphere where you're sensing the world through experiences and you're taking in like the sense of people, their nervous system, the sense of safety, joy, wonder, paradise, like everything is coming through the right hemisphere. So those memories don't look like what our culture thinks of as normal memories. So they really mess people up. Because we have these big reactions and we're like, it's your fault. You did this, da, 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 right? And it's like, oh, my God, it's implicit memory and no one really understands that. So we tend to project and blame our partner for all of our pain. And that's simply not the case. So around four to eight, we're developing more of our left hemisphere comes online. Our ego state starts like at around eight. Our nervous system slowly is one energetic unit, Um and like slowly titrates till about like between nine and 13. And that's why, you know, teenagers individuate and they became, become difficult and they really want to be their sense of self where they're actually separating nervous systems at that time. A nine-year-old child is actually still attached to his parents' nervous system. So there's, it's, a, it's really interesting how um, we are so much more impacted by those years than we think. So de- depending on where the wounding happened, the easier it is to heal. If it's a more primal wound, it's very confusing for the person who's going through it because they really literally can't make sense of it. It's helpful also to see because when I was learning all of these things for the first time, I was like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, I don't have any like big T trauma. I'm very lucky. I had a great childhood. And so I was like, this doesn't make sense. And now it's helpful to understand that it can be just these little subtle things that happened when we were super young. It doesn't have to be an event. It doesn't have to be like a way that you were wronged. It can just be the way that you learned or didn't learn to regulate yourself or the feeling of like, you know, needing to behave in a certain way in order to be approved of or, you know, shown love. Just subtle, small things that can really shape the way you now approach relationships. Most people are like protectively avoidant of their childhood. So they'll say, oh, my childhood was fine Mm. and my parents were fine. And they're not in touch with like really how little things, like you said, little things impacted them. And it's not that trauma is created by a bad day at school. It's that trauma is created by enough bad days at school where your parents aren't seeing into you. They're not holding the experience and therefore the experience becomes embedded. Or I know that Mm. like connection is a biological imperative. So if my parents don't like anger, I'm going to suppress a part of myself in order to stay in connection. Or uh, my parent isn't attuned to me and isn't seeing into me. So I'm going to disembody, I'm going to dissociate, or I'm going to self-abandon and I'm going to become hyper aware of the room so that I can make sure I get my needs met. So we're not even conscious of how we are doing this, but all of it is built around an adaptation to stay in connection and survive. And those adaptations get very ingrained in us. And so then we like kind of play them out when we're in trouble as adults. And we're like, why did I do that? Oh, okay, that makes sense. Right. And then we start to make sense of it. Then we form compassion for ourselves and then we can start kind of healing it. I'm I'm really glad we're talking about this because I was totally one of those people that was like, my childhood was fine. My parents are great. Like, I don't even want to go to therapy because the therapist is just going to talk to me about my childhood. And then I found a therapist that I, I remember my first session. I said that I was like, we don't need to touch on that. Like, my parents are fabulous. And she was like, OK, I'm just going to I'm just going to pause you right there. We're going to unpack that. And then everything since then has changed in the best way. And like to your point, you can have great parents, but there could be moments of your life where you didn't let them in out of fear or whatever it may have been. And they weren't able to be there for you. So it doesn't necessarily mean your parents are bad. They're just kind of, you know, doing the best yeah. they can. Absolutely. I think everyone and this is doing the best they can. And I mean this seriously, when you see that guy raging down the street and giving you the bird, <laughs> there's a good chance he needs to cry a lot and he has so much healing to do. And so I start to like look mm-hmm. at everyone as like, you have no idea what's going on inside. We can't yeah. excuse bad behavior. I get that. But behaviors make sense when you start to understand them. Um, we don't have to put up with yes. them, but like from an adaptive point of view, like they all start to make sense. So it's never really about blame. 
I think it's about like understanding why, why is that behavior there in the first place? What need is it serving? How is it helping that individual? Okay, that makes sense. And do I want to engage in that or not? And that's your choice, you know? Are there certain styles of attachment that are more drawn to like highs and lows and volatility and like fighting and breaking up and all these things? And then others that really crave like steady consistency, don't want change, want everything to stay the same. Like are we kind of predisposed in term- based on our style? The style is important, but who you match with and what comes up in the relational dance and the highs and lows and the push and pull and all of that is just a way to try to stay safe. I say the really turbulent relationships are the ones that are trapped in that cycle. And, you know, we all have been without awareness around like, why is this behavior showing up? Why is this anger here? What am I feeling disconnected from? What is my partner needing right now? You know, and we're left competing needs and blaming and projecting and it's all a flashlight in yet we seem to just project outwards you know and as human nature it's easy to blame everything on the here and now and it's really hard to get conscious like it is it's hard work I'm currently single and I'm trying to really examine what has and hasn't worked in the past and be like kind of intentional about how I move forward and just go on this this whole journey where I don't just like fall into relationships and you know, be, be a bit more intentional. And I've been kind of examining how like I feel I'm more of a anxiously attached person. Um, and yet I was in a long distance relationship and I'm trying to figure out if I was attracted to long distance because it kind of created this constant, like high, low chase. We're apart. It's hard. It's painful. Now we're together and it's amazing and it's exciting. And, or whether that even increased my my anxious attachment tendencies because I was always kind of having to to work on creating that intimacy and chase it because you don't live with the person you don't get to be with them all the time and so I guess now I'm just trying to re-examine well I mean if you're doing the work in a long distance relationship it can actually be pretty healing I think for anxious people um, Mm -hmm. long distance is harder because they need extra reassurance and connection. So you're kind of setting yourself up for a little bit harder of a journey. But having said that with doing the work and having a secure partner long distance, it can be very doable. It's just harder based on the nature of what helps you stay safe. I would say if you're single and you want to attract a more secure relationship, bringing in as much security in terms of friendships therapists, coaches, people who are consistently Mm. warm, nurturing, available to you so that your nervous system starts to recognize this is actually what love is supposed to feel like. Love isn't actually Mm -hmm. supposed to be like this turbulent thing. I mean, and I don't want to say yes or no. I mean, there is no right way. But if you're looking for some consistency and some longevity, your system has to understand that like consistency and safety are actually not boring. They're actually the platform for real intimacy versus maybe what feels like a dopamine hit and a rush and an excitement and then a crash and a burn versus, okay, this person's in my life every day and they're very interested in me and they're available. Why aren't I interested in them? Well, my system might not recognize that because of what I'm used to. And so I might push that away until my system starts to recognize actually love is this this type of love is consistency and nurturing and available. And I actually enjoy that. Yeah, I think I can get addicted to the dance sometimes because I think I, in general, in my life, like routine feels boring, structure feels boring. And then I, you know, just see couples dealing with shit that couples are supposed to deal with, like arguing over bills and like doing real life things. And I'm like, oh God, I don't want that. And so I've glamorized this very sometimes volatile idea of how exciting love should be and like the passion and all of these things that aren't always a part of a stable, secure, normal, we live together and are creating a life together relationship. So there's probably some work to do around that. I mean, join the club and we all, we're all always working. And I think who you are attracted to, there's like an energetic quantum signature there too, in terms of why am I attracted to this person? What wounds are going to come up in this relationship? And it's all an opportunity to heal. And are there red and green flags in terms of chemistry and attraction? Yes. Is there a way of kind of, yeah, knowing when like chemistry is like, oh, this is like a really great connection or I'm going for someone who's going to just keep perpetuating this unhealed yeah. part of me? 
Yeah, I mean, there's also, this is not a black and white answer because I do think chemistry is extremely important. But if someone you're dating has the exact opposite values as you, or someone Mm -hmm. you're dating is really unavailable and telling you that they're unavailable and you're like, oh, that makes it more exciting. Or, you know, they haven't texted me back in four days and now I want them more. It's like, yeah, I want to be really careful that's your trauma wanting that, not not necessarily your higher self or your adult self. So you want to look at the value system. You want to look at how consistent they are. You want to look at their belief systems. Are they a match for you? In my recent experience, you want to know, is this person open to personal development? Are they open to learning about themselves? Are they open yeah. to doing the work themselves? Or have they done any work on themselves? Do they even know what that word means? The work really means being really uncomfortable with yourself in the presence of people who can help you explore and unpack that. And it's not easy, but it's so rewarding. So speaking of doing the work, what are some tangible ways that we ourselves can work towards, you know, doing the work to have a more secure attachment style? If you needed us to start somewhere, where would you recommend? I love like everybody wants to use the word, oh, I got triggered. This triggered me. That triggered me. Right. We all use it. I would love to change the word to what got awakened in me today. And so when Mm. someone really does a behavior that upsets you, instead of saying, oh, that triggered me, what's being awakened inside of me? What part of me is this touching? Oh, how, why does this hurt? Have I experienced this before? Is there a theme here? Can I link it back? Can I bring it to a professional or non-judgmental friend to help me hold the dysregulation or what got awakened? Because that's how you heal. And when we say, oh, I just got triggered and it's your fault, we're like placing all the responsibility on the other person rather than living moment to moment and saying, wow, that really touched me deeply or that really awakened me and that was painful. And so chances are that it has deeper roots than what's happening in the here and now because our past is eternally in our presence. And that's a neuro, like neuroscience proves that and through implicit streams and how we see things. So yeah, my biggest suggestion is if you're like, my partner triggers me or my partner does this, my partner behavior, I don't like to do this. Yes, their behavior probably brings something up inside you to be healed. And then looking at how your partner's behavior makes sense for them in their world, you know, and when we start to do that, we start to see they're just trying to regulate their nervous system too. Interesting. So, so when those feelings come up, the triggers or the, the, when you're examining that inside, like what is this, what can we do to self-regulate those feelings so that maybe you stop, you know, attacking your partner when they do something or you stop shutting down when something happens? Like how do we self-regulate that? Yeah. So like the hairline trigger to anger is very hard to stop. And the shutdown is also very stopped. Those are automatic nervous system responses. Literally automatically your nervous system goes into anger, which makes sense because you're usually in terror. Usually underneath that anger is a tremendous amount of terror and same with shutdown. So the first step is starting to bring awareness, like what is really terrifying me, even if I can't prevent the anger in the moment, later I can get some help and start to understand that something was terrifying me. Some sense of safety was taking out of the connection in the relationship. So as you heal, you build, you build neuroplasticity. So it's almost like you build this awareness that with healing, you have more space in your reactions. Like you start to have more options and something we call dual awareness happens. So eventually with more healing, you're like, I want to scream. I want to shout because this is really painful, but I'm going to call a friend or I'm going to find a way to regulate myself. I'm going to validate that this is really terrifying for me. And usually with anxious attachment, you need a co-regulator. So calling a friend and eventually your reaction time will change and neuroplasticity will get built and there will be new wiring towards security. That makes a lot of sense because I've realized one of my toxic traits that I'm working on with my husband is when we're arguing, I get really defensive. My autom- like To your point, I can't even change it. It just happens. I just go into defense mode and it's like my body's trying to protect my sense of self. And it's not even that he's attacking me. It's just how I, how I am. But because I've started to do the work a little bit, I, I, I get that duality that you were talking about because I do sort of notice now my reaction time is a little bit slower and I'm recognizing like, okay, Kaylin, you're being a little defensive. Take a minute, take a breath and then come back and address this. 
Yeah, and slowly you expand what we call your window of tolerance. So slowly the behaviors that right. would like kind of awaken, trigger, cause you to go into response will cause you to go into less of a response on good days. You'll be like, oh, I was able to mm -hmm. access other resources in this moment and stay calm or catch mm -hmm. myself before I went off the handle or my system didn't shut down so much because I realized my partner was just angry because they were terrified. You start to kind of be able to access a little bit more. And with that space that you create and that like gap in a reaction, it can be enough time to like pull from your toolkit. And that's like another part I think of like self-regulation that I've been learning and like learning to respect another people. Mm. Because when I, if I used to like get into a, an argument with my ex, he would want to like go for a run and I would get so upset because I, every part of, of, I guess how I've been conditioned is like, we need to deal with it now. Like I want to make sure we're okay now. And like, everything needs to be okay right now. And, you know, I think I grew up also in a family where we didn't address things very head on Same. and there was like just, you know, undercurrents, but things weren't dealt with. And so it became very important to me to like deal with it in the moment. And it took me a while to like really respect that like he's trying to self-regulate right now. It's not that he's being like, fuck you, I'm going for a run because you don't matter. Right. He's just trying to, bring himself down to a level where he can like communicate in a productive way. And once I understood that, I it helped me be like, I need to do this right now. I need to learn what my version of going for a run because I'm not going to go for a run. <laughs> but like, what's my version of that? And I respect that he's doing it. What, what can I do? And that's when I started figuring out that just breath work and just like truly deep breathing helped me so much. And oh. writing, I'm a writer. So it's like, why aren't I applying the thing that I love doing to these moments that are difficult I can write it out and even like temperature changes like taking a really cold shower and changing the temperature stuff like that started to be added to my toolkit of like how do I calm myself down what are some things that I can do and so once yeah once you have the awareness then there can be an action paired with it too Absolutely. And that's a great example of one person probably a little more avoidant or in flea mode and needing to kind of self-regulate through running or deal with their anxiety by moving. And the other person who's anxious needing more co-regulation and repair in the moment. And so two people are really struggling and coping with the, their struggle in the exact opposite way that the other person needs in that yeah. moment. And that's a dance that is so common. And, you know, flea mode could be like going on work trips, getting on planes, whatever that is. They're just trying to regulate their nervous system. Yeah. And a lot of people close to me and myself have, especially as women, it felt like we were always the pursuers mm -hmm. and like with people who are stonewallers and then, you know, learning kind of how to meet in the middle and do what we need to do in the moment to regulate, but then also be like, okay, I'm going to quickly do this because I need to calm down and, and clear my head, but communicating that I want to come back and have this conversation because this is important to me. That's even helpful too, because when that's not communicated, it can feel like someone just doesn't yeah. care. You're not a priority, mm -hmm. but they're just trying to deal with mm -hmm. their shit. And I mean, I'm a couples counselor and I write about this in the book, like different ways in which when you're dysregulated, you can communicate with your partner to give each other the space to come back into connection. And I think it's really important mm -hmm. because for an anxious person, they need to say, you need to tell them like, listen, I'm, if, if they're resourced enough, I mean, some people are so avoidant that they don't have the awareness to say, you're important to me. I need to go for a run. They're just like, I need to, go. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Right. And it can be so totally. dysregulating on the other side. And I had one client, I kind of recently gave him an index card when it, when he shuts down to pull up the index card for his wife. And he says, I really love you a lot. I'm shut down right now because he can't yeah. express the shutdown yeah. Yeah. verbally. I think the self-awareness here is so key because I am exactly like you, Jill. Like I want to solve the problem right away when Gabe and I are in an argument and he needs space, which I've learned now. But at the time I was like, oh, he doesn't care. He's that he's just going to leave. All right, well, fuck you. Like, like screw this, that I'm not going to try to fix it. But I think having the self-awareness to examine what you need and what the other person needs as hard as it is in the moment, because you might be upset and angry. It's so 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 important like it's not attachment styles to your point earlier it's not just about you it's about how your partner is how you yeah. both like collide based on your styles and then how you can like break through it and move forward when conflict arises or big decisions need to be made so if you're an avoidant or anxiously attached person in a relationship 
this is something like I struggle with. Is there an ideal balance of like what your responsibility is to learn to self-regulate, to work through your anxieties individually? And, you know, if something is awakened in you, triggered, whatever, how to moderate yourself versus, you know, at what point is it okay to say to your partner, hey, these actions that you're taking are really hurting me or they're really triggering something Mm. in me and ask them to modify. What is the like... What does that dance look like? I mean, so anxious people literally can't regulate it themselves. That's the problem is like without enough healing, if the wounding was done, they don't have self-regulation in their brain, but they can pull in a therapist, a coach and a friend and learn um, through healthy co-regulation as an adult, we build self-regulation, right? And so it's and or Mm -hmm. both. I think if you have a secure partner and you're like, hey, this behavior is really upsetting me, it's not about controlling your partner. It's about Mm -hmm. your partner being aware And it's also about you asking, like, why is this behavior upsetting me? So, yeah, I could get my partner to change his behavior. But if you're not exploring, like, what is being awakened or what's being touched by this behavior, then we're just changing the outside and we're never really addressing the inside. We're never really saying, well, this behavior is touching something deeper. So if your partner does something that, you know, activates you or awakens you, you might say it and a really loving partner will be like, oh, wow, I'm going to be more aware of it. And a lot of people are like, well, now you're responsible to never do it. And it's like, that's mm-hmm. not true either. It's their responsibility to become aware of it, curious around it, compassionate, even empathetic towards it. But they can't change their behavior completely and they're not expected to be perfect. And they might not be able to change the behavior at all but they can validate you or be with you or communicate differently with you when that behavior is going on. And so it really depends on a case to case basis. And we don't want to just change our external world so that we feel safer. We want to start to challenge what's being awakened in our external world so we can heal it. So we don't really have to modify everything in our life. And also at the Mm -hmm. same time, if you have a partner who is willing to make some modifications with curiosity and love for you, you'll probably end up feeling safer and and at some point not needing those modifications quite so much. Can you talk about codependency, what it is, how it shows up in relationships and, you know, whether codependency relates to specific attachment styles, like how does it sort of manifest in relationships? Yeah. I mean, codependency is a word that I talk about a lot. I think we are all inter, we want to strive towards interdependency, right? That's what we want in our relationships. And the problem is we have these fears and these wounds and we unconsciously come into our partnerships with them. So it's really codependency is fear. And what, what fear is driving your decisions? Is it people pleasing, trying to keep your partner happy? Are you scared of conflict? Are you scared of intimacy? Um, Do you have jealousy issues? Where do those fears really come from and originate? We're not even aware when we are kind of entering something codependent in nature, but I would say that if fear is running the show, and if you can be aware of it, like understanding what is your underlying fear that you're trying to resolve in another person versus heal within yourself. Codependency is really attachment dances showing up. So it's just a... Another word for adaptive strategies showing up in your relational bonds. And for anyone who like doesn't really know about codependency and like isn't really sure if it applies to them or not, like how what what might it look like? Is it like needing your partner so much that you can't be on your own? Is it like not having losing your sense of self completely in the relationship? I would say for someone who's anxious, it is a, a form of self abandonment because as an adaptive strategy to survive, we self-abandon and we become really hyper vigilant and aware of our partner's needs and track their systems and their bodies. So we lose a sense of self. And that's because as a child, that's what we did to survive. And we don't even realize that that's the adaptive strategy that shows up. But on the avoidance side, or just, you know, it's the same thing. Like, it's, there's still just adaptive strategies around, I have a fear of losing this person, but I also have a fear of getting close. So my adaptive strategy is going to be to keep them around, but avoid intimacy. And as a female who grew up in this culture who struggled with codependency, I was like, oh, you got to be independent, but that's not the truth at all. We mm-hmm. actually have to learn how to depend mm-hmm. on dependable people. And, you know, the golden path, and I talk about this a lot, is interdependency, where I get to be fully myself you get to be fully yourself. Your full self doesn't threaten my full self. We can be two separate individuals with separate needs and come to like a fluid understanding and a compromise. 
that really struck me the adapting part because I, I do feel like I have learned throughout my life to adapt to whoever I'm around and whoever I'm with and whatever environment I'm in which is I think like a natural way of being like pack animals and pack creatures but sometimes it's at the cost of like remaining truly myself you know and it's easier for me to just kind of like adapt and people please than to be really true to myself and as I've gotten older and a bit more secure I find myself being a bit more strong and remaining who I am and kind of losing people along the way because of it which is interesting but I, I think it's it's necessary because I absorb so much from other people and I've noticed in my relationships an issue for me is that I really absorb their emotions and I can't separate theirs from mm. mine if some if my partner's having an amazing day like my day is even better but if they're having a really upset day and something's wrong I can't just be like oh there's something wrong with them that's too bad I can support them but my day is fine no my day is ruined like I am so upset if they're upset if they're in a bad mood my I'm in a bad mood and so you know when they're really calm it helps me with my anxiety which is great but I need to have a bit of separation between other people's emotions and mine because there's just like a lot of osmosis happening that I think is I have two two really important things to say about that because they're contradictory one our nervous system is attached to our partner's nervous system and their essence, we take their essence in and vice versa. So to a degree, we're going to be impacted by our partner. And two, and, and a lot of people are speaking about this and it's so true. If we have highly empathic abilities, there's a good chance that's a, that was a trauma response as well. So we were either enmeshed with our parents or over attuned to our environment in order to stay in connection. And so we can't, we don't have great boundary systems. And so instead of feeling compassion and I'm totally guilty and I'm a brilliant therapist because I can sense into what other people are feeling all the time. But if we don't have good boundaries around that, we become so easily the other person and we forget about our own sense of self and we can be sometimes over empathic to them and not empathic enough to our little boy or little me, yeah. I call them, or our inner self and are the boundaries we need and care so much about the pain or the experience that they're going through that will self-sacrifice. That's a way in which you adapted and myself as well as it's a, it's a, it's a, an asset for everyone. It's a superpower, but without boundaries and clear understanding, it can be detrimental to your mental health. And I certainly have suffered in that way mm-hmm. as well. So I totally get that. I love that you said it's a superpower as well when used. That's a nice, a nice approach because I feel like we can be really hard on ourselves for our tendencies and feel like I'm too sensitive or I'm too this, but it's very refreshing to feel like, no, no, this can be a superpower. I just need to ensure that I'm protecting myself too. And that I'm like implementing boundaries. So I mean, my mom used to tell me you're too sensitive. And I tell her, no mom, I'm really good at my job now because I'm so sensitive. And the truth is, Maybe I didn't have a boundary system in place to understand that my sensitivity was really hard to deal with and also a trauma response. But now that I understand boundaries a little better and I, you know, even as an early therapist, I remember like absorbing all my clients stuff and I really had to learn how to hold compassion versus empathy. I mean, I tap into empathy, but if you're in empathy all the time and there's not a lot of boundaries there, there's no separation between self and other. Yeah. I think one thing too that Jill and I have learned recently this year is that boundaries aren't meant to put a wall between you and the person. It's meant to like show the other person how you need to receive, you know, love and care and feel healthy and feel self-regulated and make your relationship even stronger. And I I have a whole chapter on boundaries, the beauty of boundaries. Avoidant people tend to need to have very rigid boundaries because their Mm. sense of self is at jeopardy Mm. because they maybe have felt smothered or whatever engulfed and anxious people tend to have like zero boundaries (laughs) um, emotionally because they, yeah, their, their, their sense of self isn't well established or they like to hide out in the relational space or they have a lot of like a a sense that I'm responsible for the other person. Mm. Or if I set this boundary, I might, they might feel hurt or abandoned. And I know what that feels like. And um, Mm. depending on your attachment style, your boundary systems are going to be very different. And we talk about internal boundary systems. Everybody thinks about external boundaries, but your internal boundary system and how that was developed has a lot to do with 
the developmental years. This episode is so helpful. I know it's mostly about relationships, but it's also definitely going to make me be a better parent. I've got a 14-month-old and like ever since I started doing this work, I'm like, okay, how can I make sure I don't screw her up? I know it's inevitable and there will be things that I unconsciously probably do, but at least if I'm like a little bit more self-aware, she might turn out okay. Who knows? Totally. I think that's such a great point. I mean, so many people are unconscious. They have kids and they're just passing down their trauma. If you can really tap into kids, they are another level of raising your conscious awareness and activating or awakening parts of yourself to continue to heal and learn. And so like a romantic relationship, your children can, if you choose, be another like avenue to doing your deep work. 100%. So lastly, we've touched on, you know, uh, being empathetic to others and trying to support them. How would you recommend supporting a partner who might be anxious or avoidant or disorganized in, in a healthy way? Like, how can we co-regulate in a, in a really supportive and healthy way? Well, if you're not activated or awakened yourself by yeah. if, if it's an avoidant partner, giving them space and um, also telling them that whatever behavior they're doing makes sense for their system. Mm. So if they're going for a run, when you don't think that makes sense, their system is making sense for what makes sense. And if you're not activated, you can be like, okay, this is what they need to do. And if an anxious you can validate them needs to talk, talk it out for three hours and needs a lot of time <laughs> and you have that time to give, never judging that behavior and just saying that person just needs a lot of holding right now and there's nothing wrong with that. That's what their system needs. So I think starting mm-hmm. to understand like, Every behavior makes sense. We need to stop judging the behaviors, even with our children. Even when children have bad behaviors, quote unquote, bad behaviors, they're meeting an unmet need and their response to something that's going on inside. When we take the focus off the actual behavior and we start to understand what is that behavior doing for my partner? What is it that they really need? Not what I need. What do they really need? Um, and listening to that and able to really give that, that really is the definition of love. And it's very hard to do it when you need something different. So if you're taking care of yourself and able to regulate yourself and you're in a, a um, secure place, you can really help your partner get there too. Like that's what I love about all of this is that you're not stuck where you yeah. are. You're not stuck in your like predispositions from childhood. You can work towards a different type of a secure attachment and that's such a relief because you know I have felt that I've been I think I'm naturally attracted to like thank god I am to like more secure people because when I've tried to date people who are anxiously attached like me I'm like I know we can't do this we're just both fucking activated all the time and like there's no soothing and it's just it's overwhelming but when I'm with a secure person their calm energy helps me Mm. so much to calm down too and they're able to like make some space you want to cuddle you want to talk like what would help you calm down yeah I think that's such a good important important part and I like kind of say that as human beings, we're wired to heal, actually. And the neuroplasticity, like we've learned about the brain, we used to think the brain stopped at a certain point and you were stuck with your brain. It's actually the brain is always changing. The embedded patterns and wiring can be well-worn. Like it's a well-worn path. Like if you lived across the street and it was snowing out and I shoveled a path from my house to your house, which was anxiety, and I used that for 25 years, well, guess what? That's going to be my well-worn path. But as I start to heal, I stole, I slowly start to shovel other paths. And that, that's mm. basically the best way to explain neuro, um, neuroplasticity is that I can now start to heal. And on a good day, I might be able to take this path, even though it's a little bit harder. And eventually I will, I will use another path. I might always have the anxiety as a well-worn path. And on a really bad day, I might go that way. But as more time and more space and more neuroplasticity changes in my brain, I'll have different options. And that's the window of tolerance. And that's also how you know that you're healing is that, you know, you start to develop those pathways. Um, And that's like my easiest way to explain it. And the most hopeful thing is that we are so capable of healing this stuff. And it is really, really possible if you have the information around what it means to heal and and essentially healing happens through healing relationships. So it's really important that you pull those in and they do not have to be romantic. That is such a beautiful metaphor. I've never heard it explained like that. And that's such a a perfect way to put it. We have one last question for you. We always love to ask our guests, what's one thing that you wish you had been taught in school? Mindfulness. 
Yes. <laughs> you know, being more self-aware, you know, I'm dyslexic, so school was tough. And yeah, I think that kids are that are being taught mindfulness, mindfulness now and learning to sit with themselves are set up for a lot more space when they get older and are really, you know, just practicing something that will help their brain. Totally agree. Well, thank you so much, Jessica. This has been such a great conversation. I feel like really hopeful and like I have, I'm armed with so much information that's going to really help. And please let everyone know where they can follow you, find you, get your book, your courses. Yeah. So Jessica Baum, LMHC, it stands for a licensed mental health counselor. I'm an Instagram. My book is called Anxiously Attached, Becoming More Secure in Life and Love. You can get it anywhere. It's in 10 countries. It's on Amazon. Um, my company, I have two companies. I have the Relationship Institute of Palm Beach for people who are local in Florida. And then I have Be Selfful, that's S-E-L-F-F-U-L-L.com. That's my coaching company. And I offer online um, courses. And I sometimes do a live course, like I'm doing a live course on codependency right now. It's a 10-person live course, but I don't run them all the time. But mostly yeah, Instagram and uh, my website. And I just want to promote healing and awareness for everyone. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you for all that you do. We hope you enjoyed this episode and it just helps you navigate the four attachment styles and just become a more secure person in your relationships. We'll leave you with a quote from Brene Brown. We can't ask people to give us something that we believe we're not worthy of receiving. That's what she said. So there you have it, guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard today, it would mean the world to us if you would subscribe and leave a comment or a rating. And we'd love it if you would share this with your friends by screenshotting the episode and sharing it on social by tagging at Teach Me How to Adult Podcast and DM us with any topics or guests you'd like to hear on the show. See you next time. Bye. Bye.